good to be with you this morning. If you have a Bible with you or a personal device, you're going to open up to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. The last time I worshipped with this body of believers was back in about 1976. I know I don't look that old, but I'm on Medicare this month, so I am that old. Uh, I, I went to Eastmont Baptist over on Cascade Road because there was a young lady named Kathy who uh, had garnered my attention. And uh, so I went not to worship the Lord, but to be with a young lady. Bad motives. Good result. She married me uh, two years later, and we've been married for 45 years coming up this year. And a bunch of kids and a lot more grandkids, and it's been a, it's been a good journey. So it's a delight to be with you today with good motives. Over the years, I've had opportunities to uh, travel and to be with different uh, missionaries in different environments. And one of the worship services I went to was really impactful, was in uh, Moscow, uh, Russia. And uh, I was there as a part of a, uh, a celebration, the annual meeting for the un unregistered uh, persecuted church in, in Russia, former Soviet Union. And uh, so there was nobody that spoke English there, and um, uh, I had a translator but didn't think about cultural nuances. And so when we walked up to the building, uh, I was met by a man who promptly kissed me on the lips, <laughs> which was not in Doug's wheelhouse. Uh, and and I, I thought, I don't like that. And, and he should have shaved. Um, that's all I could remember in, in thinking about that. So thank you for your warm welcome this morning and no, no kisses. I appreciate that. Many of you know Ken Floyd, and uh, Ken did retire at the end of 2022 after 16 years, I believe it was, serving the uh, Michigan Association of Regular Baptist Churches, and uh, is now living down in Ohio where he belongs as a Buckeye fan. And uh, his, his uh, house now is seven minutes from his front door to walk to his grandkids' house. That's how I, I ask, where do you live? He goes, seven minutes door to door from my grandkids'. They have one daughter and uh, five grandkids, and that's where they are now doing well and looking at the next step and leg in their journey. We changed the name uh, about a year, year and a half ago from Michigan Association of Regular Baptist Churches because it was kind of a long name and because we also kind of didn't know what regular Baptist meant. Uh, and not a lot of people do. How many people know what regular means? See? And that was in our name. And so... Some think, well, we're just like, like maybe Eeyore, you know? I'm nothing special. I'm just regular. Uh, we didn't want that going out. We didn't want anything connected to intestinal issues. That seems inappropriate. So I had to do some work. And in some studies, I find out that the Northern Baptist Convention was going toward liberalism uh, about 100 years ago. And they were moving away from the authority of Scripture, and then all the doctrines began to fall after that. And a movement came out of that, the General Association of Regular Baptists. And the word regular back then had a nice meaning in history. It meant to regulate. And they said, we are going to be marked by our fellowship, our association, we marked by the regulation of the authority of the Word of God. Well, that's a, that's a good word then, isn't it? But not if people don't know what it means. And so we went to a new name, a Bridge Fellowship, trying to be uh, something that maybe reflected more of who we are and what we're trying to do. In Michigan, we have the iconic Mackinac Bridge connecting the upper and lower peninsulas, and that's a part of our fellowship. 
that we have about 150 churches in the UP and then the lower uh, peninsula. And uh, so that, that bridge part uh, fits there, but also in connecting churches and pastors together who have need. And then we're a fellowship. Association is not a bad word, but we're a fellowship that in Christ, uh, I am just as much at home here this morning as I would have been if I was at West Cannon this morning or in Moscow, Russia. That's the interesting thing, right? In Moscow, they were singing hymns, almost all of them in a minor key, but many of them I knew, and so I sang along with them in English. They thought I was speaking in tongues. Baptists don't do that. But that's what was going on that morning. Because we have a fellowship in Christ, so we are Bridge Fellowship of Michigan, and that's who we are at this point. We wanted to communicate uh, to that to you a little bit. I'm going to be in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 just a moment, but maybe to help you get a better understanding of why we've picked that name, we have a short video for you to see. Look and listen, see if you things, see some things and hear some things that are familiar. A bridge, a convenient way to get from one place to another, but it's so much more than that. Communities are brought together. Communities with churches. From a 30-member church in Escanaba to a 300-member church in Detroit, we are connected through more than just a bridge. We are all the body of Christ. And one time or another, every church, congregation, and pastor has had their own struggle and hardship. And it's easy to feel overwhelmed. So who will help these struggling churches? Bridge Fellowship is committed to connecting churches and pastors across our state to encourage and help one another fulfill the Great Commission. We're helping bridge the gap between churches and pastors, connecting hurting pastors and congregations with those who are healthy and thriving, coming alongside one another to help them grow, inspiring and reminding each other that though things seem bleak for a moment, Hope is within reach. Though we are independent, we are not isolated. Our leadership team is comprised of pastors serving churches in our state who understand these struggles and are ready to help with programs like pastoral support groups and church retreats. We want to see the hurting churches start to heal and the healthy churches start to help. Bridge Fellowship of Michigan. Connect, inspire, grow. Familiar things. The voice? You heard that voice for a number of years, didn't you? Pastor Jeff Bird doing the voice over there. The video put together by Josh Pache and uh, his ministry is very, very appreciated, is Josiah here? Josiah's a loser, uh, but <laughs> we'll give him a little credit anyway, right? And uh, th those two young men helped us put that together. It was in your parking lot, um, some of it in your building. I just want you to know, we don't, I don't have a video for every church that I go to that focuses on them. That's the one we show all over. But it reveals to me, and as I come here uh, this morning, it reminds me and reveals how critical you are as a part of our fellowship. You are a very healthy, uh, respected church in the state of Michigan. 
your pastors, and especially Jeff, as he brought leadership uh, statewide, uh, have been really valued. And uh, I commend you for that. You have a very good reputation. So uh, we have about 150 churches in our fellowship right now. And an alarming statistic that uh, was brought to my attention back before we started this was about 80% of them are in a state of decline or dying. Declining or dying. Like the church in Gaylord, I went to visit 19 people. That, that's a big load. But we had to look at, so what is our responsibility or, or are we accountable for them and to them? And if we are, then what can we do as a fellowship to come alongside them and help them? By the way, we know that a, a small church in a small town in Escanaba or wherever might have 50 people and be really healthy. And a church in Grand Rapids of 500 might be really unhealthy. Numbers are not the mark of health. But churches in decline and dying are typically unhealthy, and we want to come alongside and help them. So that's what we're here for, and we thank you for your support of our fellowship financially and your involvement uh, in the fellowship. We really do appreciate that. As I wanted to consider in my world, though, biblically, how do I justify stepping down from the teaching pastor role where I'd been uh, for a long time uh, to do something else is it something that I could wrap my arms on and say, biblically, I feel this is something God is not only calling me to do, but uh, making me responsible for. And uh, I, I came to this text in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 as a text that reminded me of the value uh, and the importance of churches fellowshipping together and that we bridge the gap by helping one another uh, to reveal the glory of God and uh, to enjoy the fellowship of the body of Christ. So that's what we're going to be doing this morning. Uh, maybe I can begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 8 and give you an idea of where we're going. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. Now, as you excel in everything, church in Corinth, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you also excel in this grace of helping other churches as well. Now, Father, we pray that you would open our eyes and our ears uh, to see the truth and to hear the truth of your word, plant it in our hearts, transform us so that we might live in light of the truth. For your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You'll notice something in those few verses we read, and if we read both chapters, that would be appropriate. You might notice that a word keeps bubbling up in this text, and that is the word grace. By the way, chapters 8 and 9 are one section dealing with this concept of giving to other churches, from the Macedonia region to those who are in need in Jerusalem. This word grace perks up ten times in two chapters. 
translated with some different words of gift or this grace of giving. Uh, this is the idea that is coming up through the text. And so we focus our attention around bridging the gap or having a ministry of grace to other churches. We begin by looking at the grace of God that was given amongst the Macedonians. Verse 1, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given amongst the churches in Macedonia. That grace there was not a financial gift. That was a spiritual gift. There was a group of people that had no testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Paul, on his second missionary journey, uh, you can read about it in chapters 16 and 17 of Acts. You'll get there in your study of Acts pretty soon. You'll find that Paul was, went up on his second journey up into the region of Galatia. If you're going from Jerusalem, you come up around the Mediterranean, then there's Galatia. And there was no peace in his mind about where the Spirit was leading him. And then in a vision at night, he saw a man from Macedonia. He probably had a uniform on that said, Macedonia rocks or something like that. We don't know how he knew he was from Macedonia, but he said, come over here. And so Paul decided to go on his missionary journey to Macedonia. And there he went and ministered in a city like Philippi, where you can read the story of them bringing the gospel and then being arrested and beaten and put into prison. Then late at night while they're singing hymns, the uh, chains fall off and the guard is going to kill himself. And they said, don't kill yourself, we're all here. And he says, what must I do to be saved? That's the text in, that we're talking about, the, the missionary journey. Then he went from Philippi down into Thessalonica in chapter 17 of Acts. And there in Thessalonica, uh, he was run out of town, Paul and his team. And they ran out of town by night and went down to Berea and then went down to Corinth, and from Corinth he writes a letter back to the churches in Macedonia. So this is a very uh, important relationship that's going on here, and it's the grace of God that brought the gospel through Paul and Silas uh, uh, to, the, to the people here in Macedonia. You know that grace. Now I want you to understand the grace of those people in their giving, their gifts to the need in Jerusalem. So God's grace is the example for our grace. When we think about gracing others, we think, well, what does that really look like? Well, he tells us down in verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, enthroned in the, in the throne room of God, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might, became rich, might become rich. He gave up everything for you who had great need and no way to meet your need, and he met your need completely. So as you're going to give and grace others, you are going to give out of your wealth, out of your ability to others who have a need and to meet that need. That's the grace of God given amongst the Macedonians and encourages us to give graciously to others. The grace evidenced by the Macedonians is really quite compelling. I have to remember the context for the expression of their grace is that they are suffering severe persecution. If you read the letters from Paul to Thessalonica, uh, some of the earliest written in the New Testament, they were suffering severe persecution. Remember, Paul had to be taken out uh, to spare his life from Thessalonica. And it was so severe that some had come into the church and precipitating the second letter to the Thessalonians, saying the day of the Lord has not come, as some are, teach, are teaching. That it was so bad that they thought maybe this is the tribulation and we're suffering during the wrath of God. It was in that context that these churches, these believers in Macedonia, 
are being called as an example for the church in Corinth, the letter uh, that Paul is writing to them. We, we note the character of their expressions of grace in verses 2 through 4 are really compelling. They are making a common sacrifice. They gave above and beyond their ability. That's sacrifice. Now, how many of you sacrificed really important things for the rummage sale? No. That's why Craig said it was worth five bucks as you looked at it, but it grew into 8,000 plus. Praise God, right? What a great grace gift you're going to give uh, to Camp Paradise because of that. So well done on that, but this common sacrifice, sometimes it's more than giving up those things that we don't want anymore, but giving up beyond that uh, things that we value. It was a common desire. It's not that they said, okay, you've told us we ought to give. Do we have to? Paul is actually saying, I don't think you guys can afford to give. And they go, we beg you earnestly, please let us give. It was a common commitment to minister to those in their time of need. They wanted to give up what they had to help others in a time of need. And they felt it was a common responsibility. They were gracing others in their time of need as well. I'm reminded when I go through this of people that I've watched give graciously, individually. And I, I remember I was on the, the board at Continental Baptist Missions and we, we interviewed potential missionary candidates and one was a missionary builder. And he and his wife came in and we were just really humbled by these people. They were a great couple in their family and they just wanted to help churches build their buildings and, and so we, we worked with them and then we, we had background information on them and we said we, we would welcome you into the family. But there's one thing, your support level is about half of what it should be and we would want you to go out and raise more support. Now how many of you think missionaries are overpaid likely? <laughs> Typically not, right? Home missionaries, builders, their salary is not very much. And we were saying, we want you to get to this place, which is not a very great salary for you and your family. And I remember him looking down, and his wife looking down, and was like, I know what he's going to say. And, and he's going to say it. And he said, we would be honored to be a part of your, your family here and a part of this program, this mission. However, if you think we need to raise more support and require that, we're going to go somewhere else. The Lord takes good care of us. We don't need any more money. I think everyone in that room sat back, humbled and a little bit embarrassed because what they were willing to live off, we would say we couldn't live off. Fast forward a number of years, probably five or six, I was speaking at their annual conference in Des Moines, Iowa, and... Uh, I got done, it was a week-long thing, and I, it was a Friday, I wanted to get home to see my family and my kids, and uh, I wanted to somehow beat Chicago traffic, which I've never done. If you know how to do that, let me know, other than fly. Um, and I, was, I, I spoke, and I told the leaders, I'm going to get out of there fast, so I'm, I'm going through the parking lot, and someone called my name, I'm like, ugh. I turned around, and it was this man, and he said, Doug, hang on. So I waited for him, he came over, and he said, I just really want you to know I appreciate you. He put his hand out, and I shook his hand and there was paper in the palm of his hand. And I knew it wasn't a gum wrapper. I'm like, I almost said his name. I said, brother, I, I can't take that. He said, no, you need to take it because I need to give it. 
I got in the car and looked, and he'd given me a $100 bill. And I knew what he was making was below poverty. He earnestly desired to give a gift. I accepted it and gave it to somebody else. That's grace giving. That's what the Macedonians are doing here. They are giving out of their need. Notice the antecedent, the, what happened before they gave in this, uh, in this way. Paul says in verse 5 that we know, he noticed that they gave themselves first. And then they gave their gifts. When you give yourself first, your money is not hard to give. Just yesterday my wife said, do you have some cash? There was um, a shower um, for a young lady getting married. And she said, do you have some cash? I said, yep. You know where my wallet is, and you can have whatever it is. Inside, I'm thinking, but that's my allowance for the month. I don't have much. No, I didn't think that for a moment. That's her money. That's why I told her. It's not mine. It's yours. But please put some back. She didn't. But she's taken care of me for 45 years, right? So I win on that deal. If I give myself to my wife, it's nothing for her to take my wallet. Can I take her purse? No. It doesn't work that way, guys. <laughs> if you think so, I'll counsel you afterward. For Bridge Fellowship to be effective, it's going to require churches and pastors and individuals to be gracious. Because every church has its own needs. We're all trying to get enough workers. We're all trying to build that new building or pay the bills or whatever's going on. We all have a lot to do. And yet, as a fellowship of churches, we go, that church up in Escanaba is as much a part of the body of Christ as Forest Hills. And you can help them. That camp in Brazil is just as much a ministry for the gospel of Jesus Christ as Lake Ant. You're going to give to them, right? And that's what this fellowship of churches coming together is able to do. The healthier, stronger churches are able to help those in need. Paul's admonition to the Corinthians then reveals an appreciation for, but also he has an expectation that they would give. So he tells the Corinthians, this is what the Macedonians did, and then he puts the, the pressure on them, and that's really what you ought to do. But do it because you love Jesus as a, a ministry of grace. The second thing I noticed in the text, and we're going to just highlight a couple of things here, is not only did they give graciously, but as I look at the text unfold, I noticed something, and that is Paul has a team to help him. Paul was not a lone ranger trying to take care of the needs of the churches as they began to blossom, and the gospel goes from Jerusalem to Jer Judea to Samaria, and now begins to expand to the uttermost parts of the earth. Paul bringing the gospel to the Gentiles, to places where the gospel had never been proclaimed. As this movement of the gospel goes forward, Paul is marked in his ministry as doing it as a part of a team. One thing we looked at when we looked at the Bridge Fellowship with Ken Floyd retiring and talking with Ken and looking at the needs, it was obvious to us that one man could not meet the needs of an entire state. The, the distance geographically from the far northwest of the Upper Peninsula down to the southeast part of the Lower Peninsula is really drastic, 600 miles. Do you know how much difference there is between a youper and a troll? They call us trolls. 
I don't even know what that means, but I don't think it's a compliment other than we come over the bridge to see them, right? In, in the culture of a small town in the UP and in, in a, a suburb uh, like Forest Hills gathered here by Grand Rapids, the, the needs are so diverse and we thought one man really can't do all that and we can't afford to hire three or four full-time guys. Let's go to a plurality of leaders that can bring stability and different gifts to minister to the churches in our fellowship. Just as your church now has a stability, even though Pastor Jeff has moved on, you have a stability, and I'm so delighted to see and to hear you're even growing during this time. Nothing about him leaving other than he did a great job shepherding the body of Christ, and that your pastors and, and Jake and, and uh, uh, working together with Craig and your elders and, and, and a new secretary, you'll have to keep them all in line, you know that. Uh, an administrative assistant, whatever they call you, I'm sorry I used the wrong term, I'm, I'm old, remember I'm on Medicare. Um, <laughs> You guys are doing a great job. Well done. That's what teams can do. And there's safety and wisdom in a multitude of counselors. Paul knew that. And when Paul goes out on his missionary journeys, uh, he brings people with him. He will talk about Titus, his messenger now, and other messengers who are going to come in verses 22 and 23. His first missionary trip to Galatia was Paul and Barnabas, commissioned by the church in Antioch. His second missionary journey to Macedonia, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. We know that Paul needed and trusted and depended upon a plurality of leaders. And that's what we're doing in the Bridge Fellowship, saying we need a plurality of pastors working together and church leaders working together to minister to the needs of our fellowship. If Paul the Apostle found it valuable to have a team of leaders, then certainly we and our fellowship need that as well. So we tried to map out what are the three areas we really need to develop, and then how can we find a man who would lead in that area. We knew that we are lacking a leadership development program. We aren't producing the number of, of pastors or leaders in the church that we used to be doing. We need to, we need to correct that. I was in Everett last week, northern central Michigan last week. They were honoring their pastor, Scott Farrell, for 20 years of, of faithful service there. And they had the chairman of their search committee come up, who was there when they brought him on, just to talk about what, what he remembered about bringing Pastor Scott on. He, he said an interesting thing. I don't think he even knew how significant it was. He said he remembered going through and having over 50 resumes to go through. When Ken left and passed on to me the various things I would need, he gave me about six resumes, is all we have right now. You know that most churches are trying to find one or two candidates, and that, 20 years ago, 50. We, we've, we've lost something, and there, there are reasons for that. We could talk about it at some point, but we have to develop and create leaders in our church, not just vocational, not just for mission service, but leaders to be elders, Sunday school teachers, Bible study leaders, and men's and women's ministries and children's ministries. We need leaders, and I'm not sure we're passing along the faith and developing leaders like we ought to. So that's what we want to say. We, we want to develop church leaders. Kelly Fath, who you know, is uh, working in that area, having done that in his past. Kevin Moses, who's from uh, the, the Flint area, Lapeer, is working on pastoral fellowship. We have a lot of pastors who are all alone in small towns and difficult ministries, and they just feel alone, and they don't have anybody they can talk to outside of their own church, and that's hard for a pastor to do sometimes. Well, we're working on developing pastoral fellowship, and Kevin's doing a great job on that. Andy Molyneux, who is over in, in, in uh, 
Mount Pleasant, Central Michigan, is overseeing church health. And Andy is working on uh, developing a, a, a pattern of healthy conduct for a church and what happens if a church has not been healthy. He's working on uh, developing, uh, ch resolving church conflict because many churches are unhealthy because of never resolving church conflict. Andy's working on that. And so these three men, by the way, each have a team of five to ten men of pastors from around our state, geographically uh, spread around. So we're now going to have about 25-plus men who are involved in leadership in our state to take care of the needs of our fellowship. That model comes out of the Word of God. It just comes out of the example that we see here in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8 and 9. And so we're delighted to have these men and to have uh, men... Uh, your pastor, Jeff, was so involved in leading in our fellowship for many years. Uh, again, you've done well with that. We look forward to having your new pastor or Craig coming along or Jake coming along to help on our leadership team. You have much to offer. The final thing that we have to look at here, we've got a few minutes, is uh, we look at something that brought these people together. It was not only that they were going to need grace to, to minister others. And, and it wasn't just a leadership team that involved multiple men working together, but we also find that they had a, a common goal. The various churches had a common goal. They were gathered for something and they had a commitment to someone that brought them together. We find out more about that in chapter 9. Again, I apologize for going through the text so quickly, but you can go back and read it later. But for our purposes this morning, I want you to know that this fellowship of churches, the ones in the regions of Galatia, Achaia, uh, Macedonia, Judea, Jerusalem, these churches that were evolving and more going to go now over to Rome later on, this fellowship of churches that they had had a unique goal, and that was they wanted to make God happy. They just wanted to please God. And by giving graciously, they were able to please God. Notice in verse 6 of chapter 9. The point of this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, nor under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. To do something that makes God happy. That he just says, I love it when you do that. In this context, or these verses, we often look at them individually, and we ought to. We all ought to be gracious givers and give cheerfully, not of compulsion. We just delight in doing that. But I remind you, he's writing a letter to the church at Corinth. And he's writing about the saints in the churches in Macedonia. And so we also have a church now that says we want to give generously. We want to be cheerful givers. I love that in both services when you heard that over 8,000 was brought in through the rummage sale that you get to give away to somebody else, you clapped. You were happy. You understand that, right? It's great to get rid of the stuff. It's great to give a gift. And how great would it be if you could all go down there <laughs> And see the gift administered. Or go to the camp and see all the kids who are benefiting from the gift that you're giving. You won't be able to do that. But you've been able to give because you delight as a body of believers in giving to others. How much, can grace, uh, how much gracing can you afford? Well, verse 8 says it pretty clear, doesn't it? 
God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound to every good work. Don't, don't think about outgiving God. He can take care of you, and as you give, he will entrust you with more, so that you're able to give more. Again, you're a giving church, so I commend you for that. I don't know what that means, but to give continuously and more as God uh, puts it upon your heart. And then there was something else at this common goal that I, I really like to end up with this. Going down to verse uh, 11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. That what we're doing is to give, not so people thank us. We're giving so people thank God, right? And when you come along somebody who has a need and you help them and they've been praying about that need and you give them the need in a way that doesn't draw attention to yourself, they give thanks to God who answered their prayers. So a common goal is we want to please God. We want people to give thanks to God. Verse 12, for the ministry of this service, this gift that we're giving, is not only supplying the needs of the saints, that's really important, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. Imagine that. Your giving to them now is only producing thanks to God, but people glorifying God. Generous giving produces fellowship amongst God's people. Now they begin, verse 14, while they long for you and they pray for you. Now there's a connection between your church and their church, that body of believers and yours, and you see the fellowship that you have in Christ and you delight in one another. I delight that you, your pastor, or, uh, John uh, Marco, prayed for two other churches in the area. Not that their people would leave their church and come here, Right? but that their churches would be blessed as the word of God goes out. That's understanding the nature of our relationship to the body of Christ. Generous giving then finally not only produces fellowship amongst God's people and produces thanksgiving to God and glorifying God, but it helps us to image God. We are the body of Christ, his visible manifestation, so to speak, here on earth as individuals, yes, but also as the body of believers. And it's interesting, this text that began in 8.1 and ends in 9.15, notice in verse 15, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Go back to verse 1 of chapter 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God. That gift in verse 15 is grace, charis. That grace in verse 1 is charis. This whole section, we begin it with the bookend of grace, and we end it with grace. And we do this for the glory of God. That's what the fellowship, Bridge Fellowship, is about. We're a group of churches, doctrinally conservative, who are committed to working together for the glory of God and the good of his people without sacrificing the autonomy of a local church. Nobody can tell you what to do. You are Forest Hills Baptist. That's what is unique about our fellowship. Our core values provide enough wiggle room for there to be not only fellowship on the big things, but have room for diversity on those things which aren't so central. Lastly, through our fellowship, though our fellowship, excuse me, has a rich history and a solid foundation, 
we must acknowledge there's a need for renewal in our fellowship. It is estimated, as we mentioned, about 80% of the churches in our fellowship are in a state of decline or dying. Fast forward, 80% of the churches, if in five to 10 years something doesn't happen, those churches, many of them, will close their doors. Can you imagine if 80% of, or let's say 75% of our churches close their doors? That would be about 120 churches in the state of Michigan that once were built in an area so the gospel could be proclaimed, a light on the hillside is no longer there. And those churches that need help, like Calvary Baptist and Gaylord, 19 people, how do we help them? Like Byron Baptist over by Flint, I just was with them. Like Stanton, First, ba First Baptist in Stanton. Who's going to help them? They need help. The fellowship can come together. And what one person can't do on their own, the body of Christ can do by the grace of God and for the glory of God. Again, I commend you for your participation, your faithful giving, for bridging the gap with your grace to other churches and pastors for the glory of God. And we have been praying for you and for your church and for your search for a new pastor. But don't ever forget, you are blessed with Craig and Jake and a leadership team of elders. They really love this body and are doing what God has gifted and called them to do for his glory. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we do love you, and we know it's only because you first loved us. So teach us that we might demonstrate and uh, reflect that love in our body here, but across our neighborhoods and across our state, uh, for you are a God who is worthy of that. I do ask for your blessing upon the leadership team here, the search committee, that God, you would direct them to a man and his wife, maybe family, who would be able to come in and follow in that paradigm of leadership that, that Jeff and Sherry brought along that has been such a blessing to these people. We ask for these gifts in Christ's name. Amen.